This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. I'm going to give some amazing tips. These tips are from the book Share Teshuvah. These tips for success on Rosh Hashanah are from the book Share Teshuvah, written by Rabbi Yona of Gerona. Rabbi Yona, Rabbi Yona, Rabbi Yona of Gerona who was a cousin of the Ramban Nachmanides, who is we're talking about the time of the Rishonim, um, the early uh, 11th century. The early 11th century, Share Teshuvah, the gates of repentance, very, very important work. And if you can read part of it, even uh, before Rosh Hashanah or before Yom Kippur, it's very important, Share Teshuvah. So I'm going to give you some of his tips um, for success on Rosh Hashanah. So this is the tips from Rabbeinu Yonah of Gerona, Share Teshuvah, um, late uh, 11th century, um, who lived in uh, Spain and, and crossed over into France and moved backwards and forwards. Uh, it was a nephew or cousin of the Ramban Nachmanides. Okay, so let's just go through. But before I go through his tips, uh, there's a beautiful parsha we read last week, which has an amazing insight into the escalators of life. You know, that's a great title. Escalators of life. What are the escalators of life? So one escalator is going upwards and one escalator is going downwards. And we always have to try and be on the escalator going upwards. How does a person, what does a person do to get on this escalator of life going up? Well, let's start off with the negative. Okay, let's start off with the bad and we'll finish off with the good. So the escalator of life going downwards was the beginning of last Shabbat's parasha, Ki And the Torah has over here as a sequence of events which is highlighted by the Midrash Tanhuma. So the Midrash Tanhuma was one of the Midrashim written by Rabbeinu Tanhum. Rabbeinu Tanhum was one of the early uh, Tanaim in the Mishnah. And he wrote this midrash. And it's a beautiful midrash because it combines stories with halakha. Midrash Tanhuma. And over there he says, milchama. He says, Shanu Raboten, our rabbis taught. Mitzvah goreret mitzvah, avera goreret avera. Here we have the two escalators of life. The escalator going up is mitzvah goreret mitzvah. One mitzvah causes another mitzvah. That's the escalator of life going up. One mitzvah causes another mitzvah. That's an amazing concept. And then there's an escalator of life going down, unfortunately, which is one avera. One bad deed leads to another bad deed, which is an amazing concept. You know, when I was a kid, my mother taught me to always brush my teeth. Every morning she would ask, did you brush your teeth? Go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. And thank God I have a habit today of brushing my teeth, not just once, but twice a day. So <laughs> it's a good habit because it keeps your, your teeth going. Baruch Hashem. But same idea with mitzvot. If a person can get into a habit, a good habit of doing mitzvot, one mitzvah leads to another, one opportunity. I heard a beautiful story today. I want to share with you. It's a joke. It's a joke. It could be true. I don't know. It sounds like a joke, but it could be true. Okay. And the story goes like this. There was a, a Jew and a non-Jew living together in London. You know, you know, neighbors. They were neighbors. And the non-Jew would go on his weekend trips. And every time he'd come back, 
some burglar had broken into his house. And so what happened? After a while, he just put all his money in the bank. He had no valuables uh, unlocked anywhere. And they still broke in. So every, every week and everywhere he would go, comes back from his vacation, they break in. The Jew goes away for three months to Israel, and no burglary is nothing. So he asks his neighbor, the Jew, he says, tell me, he says, how come there's no burglaries in your house? And the Jew says, well, look at my door. You see anything strange over there? He says, yeah. He says, what else? there's a long box outside your doorpost. He said, yeah. He said, that's the guardian. That's Hashem. Is, God is guarding my door. So, then, so then his neighbor says, can you get me one of those? How much do they cost? So the Jew says, well, you want a cheap one or you want an expensive one? He says, get me the best. Get me the 300 pound or dollar or whatever it was, pounds in England, pounds sterling uh, mezuzah. So he gets in this massive mezuzah, you know, uh, you know written for a bed midrash. And then Nanji puts that in his door. Sure enough, no burglaries. Not a single burglary. Three months later, he comes back to the Jew. He says, take it off my door. Take it off. Jew says, why? He says, isn't it, isn't it working? You have no burglaries. He says, you're right. But now all these collectors come to my door. So, so, so that's a joke. The joke is, you know, you have mezuzah on your door. You know, all these people coming to ask for money. All of a sudden, they know who you are. They know you're Jewish. They come to ask for money. So anyway, so, but that's the idea we're talking about. A mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. So a Jew puts a mezuzah on his door. All the guys pass by. Oh, it's a Jew. Maybe, you know, give sadaqah. So one mitzvah leads to another. It's an amazing concept to get into the habit. This escalator of life going upwards is the mitzvah, causes the mitzvah. So this is a midrash, midrash tanchuma on parsha kitetze. I just want to read it to you so the rabbis learn. One mitzvah causes another mitzvah. One avirah causes another avirah. And the parsha started off with a list of avirot. Starts off with a list of avirot. This man goes to war. And he sees this beautiful woman. And he can't control himself. He takes her home. And so at least the Avira, and then he has a, a son who's a rebellious son. So that's another. So at least it's a, it's a chain reaction of bad things happening. He, he can't control himself, and he has a child, and the child is a rebellious child. The, the rabbis say that the Avshalom, the son of uh, King David, who rebelled against him, was the classic case. The rebellious son from this woman from the war, that the King David went to the war, he had relations with this woman who was. Um, one of the king's daughters, uh, foreign king's daughters, and uh, and he couldn't control himself. So he had this son, Absalom, who rebelled against him. And not only that, but 10,000, thousands of Jews died. Because of that. It was a war, civil war between David and his son, Absalom, who rebelled against him. So that's the cause. The cause is he can't, person can't control themselves. They go after their eyes, just like we find Samson went after his eyes, and eventually his eyes were removed by the Philistines. So same idea, similar idea. And then it says a man has two wives and he hates his wife. So again, leads the hatred of his wife. And then he has two sons, one, he, one from the wife he loves, one from the wife he doesn't love. And he wants to disinherit the one from he doesn't love. The Torah says, you're not allowed to disinherit. The firstborn gets double portion. It doesn't matter whether you love the wife, you don't love the wife. So one Avera leads to another Avera. One bad thing leads to another bad thing. And uh, so that's the, that's the negative of the that the negatives they build up for example as you know um unfortunately i was involved in a transaction in israel i bought a house in israel and the guy tricked me he ripped me off he ripped me off from a parking lot he sold me a parking lot he never had imagine he ripped me off from a parking lot he never had 
And this is a from guy, this is a religious guy, so-called religious, he's a rabbi, this and that and the other. So I took him to the Beit Din, and there he is, he's telling lies in the Beit Din. He's telling, I can't believe it, this guy's telling lies in the Beit He sold me something he never had, and he's telling lies to the rabbis on the court. And uh, so what happened? You rob from someone, then you're going to go to the court, you're going to, you're going to tell lies. In those days, they'd make the guys uh, swear. Plus, would take God's name in vain. One avira. One bad thing leads to another bad thing. We have to make sure we're on the escalator going up. So let's talk about the escalator going up in the parasha. In parasha, they say there's an escalator going up as well. So mitzvah, goreret, uh, mitzvah. Mitzvah causes another mitzvah. What's that? What's that? There's an escalator. It's a chain reaction. Plus, that's good. You get more good. You know, King David says in Psalms, in Psalm 23, he says, uh, what do you say? That opportunities for kindness should chase me all the days of my life. So what happens is he gives the car, and before you know it, you're on a list. You can't, they put you on a list, and they share lists. So all these organizations, they get your phone number, and then they get your email, and, and you're on a list. But one mitzvah should run after another mitzvah. That's a cause. You do one mitzvah and hopefully the mitzvah causes a ripple effect. It's a ripple effect in the tank. Imagine if, if life is like a, a, a ripple tank. Every time you do a mitzvah, you make a ripple in the tank. Now, you're not only just affecting you in a good way, you're affecting everyone around you in a positive way. Because people see you doing a mitzvah, your children see you doing a mitzvah, your wife, your spouse, your family, your friends do this. And they say, wow, if he's doing this, I want to join in. I want to be part of this, this, this chain reaction of success. But as Radha Shrem would all be part of it. So what does the Torah say? The Torah says, if a bird, mother bird comes before you on the way and lays an egg, kosher bird. And you desire omelets that day. Uh, you know, it's very unusual. This mitzvah is highly unusual. But it does happen sometimes in Israel where a pigeon will lay an egg on someone's window ledge. It's happened. And they sit on your window ledge, make them build a nest. And uh, so it's mitzvah possible. You can... I don't fancy uh, pigeon omelets, though. I don't fancy the tiny little eggs. There don't seem to be much in that egg. So, but anyway, it's a mitzvah to show you the mother bird and take the egg. If you do that mitzvah, it says, what's the next thing on the list? It says, Hashem will give you long life. Imagine. And do good for you and give you long life. It's a similar promise as it is for honoring one's parents. Can you imagine? This mitzvah seems to be so small, but it's a massive mitzvah person. There's tremendous reward for it. So what happens next? So then it says, When you build a brand new house, or you put in a, a nice uh, fancy veranda around your uh, house, and Mepeset in Hebrew, it says, make a marker, build a fence around it. Make sure no one's going to fall off your fancy new house. Or if you put a staircase in your house, make sure you have a fence. You have a, a fence around your staircase, which is 40 inches high. So that is a mitzvah. There's a, there's a big debate, uh, but we say there's a bracha on that mitzvah. It's amazing. I looked it up uh, two days ago. Baruch Hashem, al mitzvah ma'akeh. On the mitzvah of making a fence around your roof or making a fence around your veranda or your steps, there's a mitzvah, so a Jew should do the last part. So if there's non-Jews building your, your fence around your uh, veranda, whatever it is, then you should 
just put in the last screw and say the bracha before you put the last screw. It's amazing mitzvah. So that's the next mitzvah on the list. The person shoot away the mother bird. He's gonna be have the merit to buy a house, and he's gonna have the merit to put this this uh, fence around his roof, which is not very frequent, not very common. And then it says, you will not plant your vineyard with mixed species. You can't plant uh, wheat, barley in your vineyard with a certain distance of the of the of the trees. So again, so now we're going to see the guy is going to be blessed. So with a house, now with a vineyard. And then what's next? Don't plow with an ox and a donkey together. Another mitzvah, that means he's going to have a field. He's going to be a farmer. He's going to plow. So then another opportunity for another mitzvah. And then it says, Lotil bashatnes. Don't wear garments, wool and linen together. Which means he's going to have fancy garments. Wool and linen, very expensive materials. So he's going to have the reward of having these fancy garments and opportunities for women. It's what tremendous, this unleashing, one mitzvah unleashes this avalanche of mitzvah. One mitzvah person does, it just, person goes to shul in the morning. Just a random example. If you go, if you're a woman, you go on Shabbat morning and you're just going to shul. Every step of the way is a mitzvah. Peschar, peschior, people don't realize. Every step you take towards a mitzvah, that step you're going to get tremendous reward for. You know, once the famous uh, Navardok Yeshiva. I don't know if you heard of it. The famous, look it up on Wikipedia, it's amazing. Famous Navardok Yeshiva was started by a student, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta had very few students, but those students had thousands of students. So this is one of his students, Rabbi Yossel. He started Yeshiva Navardok, and the policy was every one of his students went out and started their own Yeshiva. There were hundreds of Navardok yeshivas before the First World War. People don't realize hundreds of Navardok yeshivas before the First World War. And then after the First World War, when, uh, when unfortunately, when Russia became communist, they stopped all Torah learning. There were 700 yeshivas, Navardok yeshivas in Poland between the wars. 700 yeshivas, which were destroyed by the Nazis. And now there's one in Brooklyn, I think one, or maybe more. And there's one over here in Israel. So Navardak Yeshiva. So anyway, I used to learn there. I used to learn in one of the Kola living in Navardak Yeshiva. I was a young, uh, just newly married. I was 21 years old, newly married. And the Rosh over there was Rabbi Benzion Brook, very older man, real Navardak Musar, you know, disciple of disciple of disciple of Rabbi Israel Salanta. And he sees me walking in one day and Look like I was uh, tired, perspiring in the heat in Israel. And he says, where are you coming from? I said, I told him my address. He said, wow. He says, wow. What expression on his face. The reward you're getting for your steps. Like he was, he wanted that reward. He was envious of the reward for every step a person takes. Them. It's what people don't realize. If it's rainy, you get more reward. If it's uh, muddy, you get more reward. If it's snowy, you get much more reward. So it's. It's a mitzvah, every mitzvah, every step you take to a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Amazing, amazing concept. So mitzvah, we have to get into that avalanche of mitzvot, which is the escalator going up. You have to go on to that escalator going up in life. There's Rav Shem, oh, that's the first tip. The first tip is to get on the escalator. So person goes to shul, then all of a sudden you're saying amen. Every amen, incalculable reward for an amen. It says when a child says his first amen, he's guaranteed a portion of the world to come. So how much more so we say amen? So amen has two connotations. It means true. I believe it's true, what you're saying. And ken hiratzon. 
And if it's a prayer for the future, it's, I want it to happen. Hashem should make it happen. So Bezrat Hashem, these small things, they look like small things, but it says Amen. Right? No, he says Amen. And that's the first uh, list on Rabbi, uh, uh, the Shari Tshuva. Uh, he says, Say Amen, when you answer the Kaddish. May God's name be great. Now, what do you mean, God's name be great? God's name is great. So the Gemara says that when Amalek attacked the Jewish people, the Torah says in Parsha Kitesh, we learned it last week, at the end of the Parsha, we have a mitzvah of Zachort, there's a mitzvah which applies every single day of our lives. Remember what Amalek did to, did to you when he came out of the shrine. He attacked us from behind. So what the rabbis say is, what did Amalek do? He stopped people from being afraid of Hashem. He says, when the Jews came out of Egypt, all those miracles, they crossed the sea. Every single nation in the world was scared stiff. God is amazing. The God is on their side. But when Amalek attacked us, they said, well, it's possible to attack these people. So Amalek, as it says, Yad al-Kesya, he shortened God's chair, whatever that means. He took the Aleph out of Kisei, made a kiss. And he split Hashem's name, Yudke, instead of Yudke Vavke. Yad al yeah. So uh, Amalek did something terrible. He caused the revelation of God in the world after the coming out of Egypt and, and crossing the sea to be broken. So what we're doing is when we say that Amen, Rabbi, the Kaddish, we are saying, may God's name be great again. May the whole world know God as the whole world knew God when we crossed the sea. And that's what the Quran says in Shabbat. Masechet Shabbat, Davkuf Yutet Amud Bet 119b. Whoever says Amen, Yehoshua Rabbah, with all their strength, which Rashi says with all their cover now, with all their intention, with all their heart. Korim lo gizadino. They rip up any decrees against them. Such an easy way to get rid of all decrees against a person before Rosh Hashanah. If there's any bad decrees, Hashem wants to make a bad decree against Amen, Yehoshua Rabbah. Imagine. The guy goes to Shul on Rosh Hashanah and answers Kaddish with all his heart. He says, I'm going to rip up your, all the decrees against you. Wow, that's amazing. Number two. So, uh, number two is supposed to keep Shabbat. People don't realize the revelation of Shabbat. The revelation of Shabbat is amazing. So, we realize uh, what happens on Shabbat. The revelation of Shabbat. Um, we have to realize the amazing revelation of Shabbat. When a person keeps Shabbat, we're giving testimony that Hashem created the world. We're giving testimony. It's like the Chavis Chaim says, like flying the flag. When a Jew keeps Shabbat, it's like flying the flag. I believe that God created the world six days and rested on the seventh. In other words, what do you mean God rested? It means that the seventh day was completion. There was nothing done. It was complete. The creation was complete. So when a Jew keeps Shabbat, the Gemara says also in the Sechet Shabbat, Kufyut Chet Amabet, Mochalim Lo Al Kol Avonatav. They forgive him for all his sins. Amazing. So, so um, two things. Amen Yishmir about. We keep Shabbat. Let's keep Shabbat. Shabbat is the key. The person is forgiven for all their sins. Why? Because it shows tremendous faith in God. The person takes a day off. You know, today we're so blessed that a lot of societies around the world you can take Shabbat off. People understand today, Jew goes home early. I remember I used to work in England in a bank you know, when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to leave Friday afternoon. And, you know, you tell them, I'm a Jew, I'm a Sabbath observer. They say, okay, you know, it's, it's recognized now. 
for a Jewish Sabbath, Sabbath observer. I remember at one time, it says the 50s, the 40s, the 50s, a person would get a pink slip every Shabbat. Imagine every Friday, he leaves early, that's it. You're out, you're out. You leave early, you're out. You don't come on Shabbat work, you're out. In the garment district, where a lot of Jews worked, they didn't work on Shabbat. Ironical, ironical. A lot of Jews owned those factories and Jews had to work on Shabbat. Terrible, terrible. But today we're blessed, but in those days a tremendous, what's called Mitzirat Nefesh, a Jew is sacrificed not to work on Shabbat. So Hashem says, I'm going to, I'm going to forgive you for all your sins. You keep Shabbat, I'm going to forgive you for all your sins. Okay, that's number two. Number three. Oh, this is amazing. You know, there's a psalm we say every single day. It's not a psalm, it's actually a song in the Torah. It's the first song in the Torah. There are 10 songs in Tanakh. There are 10 songs in Tanakh. The first one is called Shirat Hayam. The song at the Red Sea. When they crossed the sea, it's actually Red Sea. When the Jews crossed the sea, they sang a song. They sang a song. And if a person, Shari Tshuva says, if you sing that song every day with focus and concentration, the person sins are forgiven. Singing that song is such a powerful thing. Why? We say this song every day, but we don't really say it. We, we don't really just say it. We don't say it. We say the words. We don't have gusto. We don't, have, we don't sing it. We have to sing it. So maybe I'll show up. People sing the song of Shabbat when they have more time. But during the rest of the week, people are pressed for time. They pray like automatic, uh, autopilot. And so a person try and focus on the Shira. What's so special about the Shira? Two things. It's the first time in the Torah it addresses Hashem as the king. Hashem yimloch le'olam ba'ed. Hashem will reign forever. It's in the Shira. We say every day in the morning prayers. So focus on Hashem is our king. And that is also the, one of the messages of Rosh Hashanah. There are extra prayers in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, which don't exist on any other holiday. And 10 lines, 10 sukim about Hashem's kingship. We talk about Hashem as being the Melech HaKadosh, the holy king. So the, stress the kingship in the Shira. And also there's a Munah in the Shira. Why it says, as it says, then they believed in Hashem and Moshe's servant. Okay. We say every day, think about it. Think about it. The belief in Hashem. A person's sins are forgiven. A person believes in Hashem. All the sins are forgiven. Hashem is the king forever. And Hashem, all our sins are forgiven. All our sins are going to be forgiven. And uh, uh, number four is very hard. Number four is the hardest one on the list. Well, it's not really. It's one of the hardest ones. Mavir al-Midotav. A person should forgive and forget any slights they get from other people. This is so, so hard in life. And a person gets insulted by someone. A person has, someone's angry with them. They're angry with someone. Someone does something bad. It's so hard. This is one of the hardest things to do is to forgive and forget, to forgive and forget, to, to forgive someone who did something, someone didn't speak to you nicely, someone didn't say hello to you, forgive, easy things, they're small things, forgive and forget, the harder things are much harder to forgive and forget, some things you don't need to forgive and forget, some things you take someone to the big thing, you take them to the court, just to get out of the way, some things are serious, you have to take them out of court, but after the, the verdict, you have to forgive, after the verdict is enforced, you have to forgive and forget. It's uh, Mahavir Amidotav. A person going to go to sleep at night before you go to sleep. In the Kriyat Shemal Amitav, a person says, Haredi, it's so hard to say properly. I forgive any person who troubled me. 
And the Benish Chai adds whether in this Gilgul or previous Gilgul, this reincarnation, the previous reincarnation is so hard to do. It's something which is worth its weight in gold because then Hashem says, you know what? The Bidrash says, if a person forgives other people, it says, the Rashi explains, it's a Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Yudzayin Amadalef, in Rosh Hashanah 17a. Rashi explains, if he doesn't trouble, he doesn't, he's not worried about other people, the Midat Hadim, the attribute of judgment, does not worry about him. If a person doesn't care what other people do to him, Midat Bitzel, I don't care about this person either. I'm not going to get involved with this person. He forgives and forgets, I will forgive and forget. So, very powerful, very, very hard to do. Who's, well, what's a classic case in the Torah? It says Rachel. Rachel was the chosen wife of Yaakov Avidu. And what does she see? She sees in front of her very eyes. Her father, Lavan, is disguising her sister, Leah, and putting Leah under the chuppah. And you know what Rachel did? Nothing. She did nothing. She hid herself. She didn't say anything. She never shouted out. She never said, hey, Yaakov, it's not her. It's not me. It's her. It's Leah. It's not me. The, the commentaries do say that she gave, they exchanged signs. Yaakov knew that Laban was a trickster. So he, he, he gave her some signs to give him in, under the chuppah. And uh, Rachel gave the signs to Leah so that Leah would not be embarrassed under the chuppah. That's the greatness of Rachel. She was Mavil Amidotab. She was, she just gave in. She just, okay, my father's going to give my sister to Yaakov, the man I love, the man he worked for, he worked for me for seven years. We waited so long. And finally, my, 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 my tricky father, Lavan, is going to give her to Yaakov instead of me. What does Rachel do? She gives Leah the signs. She doesn't want her sister to be embarrassed. She just gives in, completely gives in. So later on, the Torah says that when uh, Hashem told Yirmiyahu, Yirmiyahu, go, I'm going to I'm gonna destroy Yerushalayim. I'm going to destroy Bet Abitash. I need people who can plead with me not to hurt the Jews. Who? Go wake up Moshe Rabbeinu. Go wake up the forefathers, Abraham, Yisrael, Yaakov. And they couldn't help until they heard a voice of this woman crying. A voice was heard, he said such beautiful words, he said, call Nishma Barama. There was a voice heard above, in the world above. Rachel, I can't remember exact words, Rachel cried for her children. And Rachel's prayer, she says, Hashem, when my, when my uh, father tricked my husband and gave Leah instead of me, and I kept quiet, that merit should stand now for my children. And Hashem says, okay, that marriage will stand for your children. That's the merit we have. Rachel, she was, she just forgave and forget. She gave everything away. Seven years of work that her husband did for her, she just gave away in one second. Baruch Hashem. Yaakov did marry her in the end, but she gave it up. She never knew he was going to marry her. That's it. She gave it up. So that's a classic. Very, very powerful, extremely powerful way to dissolve all one's because they wrote all one's uh, any, anything bad against the person they'll get pure chesed they treat other people kindly we talked about last week giving, doing kindness to others you do kindness to others you get kindness back from Hashem so kindness comes back there's a book a beautiful book by my friend Jackie Dweck 
if you can get hold of it, I think there's one in the Shul Library he donated. It's called the Chesed Boomerang. The Chesed Boomerang. And I'll tell you just one story from the book. The book is there was a guy parked illegally in New York City. I don't know what he's doing. He was parked in a place shouldn't have been parked. And or, or I think, no, I think it was just the parking meter in those days. And the parking meter ran out. And uh, the guy comes to give him a ticket. And all of a sudden, this guy walks in past him. And he doesn't know who it is. There's a car over there. He's going to get a ticket. His parking meter is nearly up. So the guy comes and puts coins in the parking meter. He put coins in the parking meter for someone else. He didn't even know who it was. And then he saved the guy from a ticket. So what happens is the owner of the car starts running and coming. And then he sees this guy putting the money in the slot. And they happen to be friends. They happen to know each other. He says, wow, thank you so much. You saved me from a parking ticket. So what happens is the same... Same two characters come. <laughs> this this time, the guy put the money in the slot from his friend, for his friend he didn't even know about. Was stuck at the Verrazano Bridge at the time where they were taking tolls. You remember that time they were taking tolls and this big line behind him and they're honking and he, he he didn't have any money. Gosh, he he didn't have any cash on him. He forgot his cash and his wallet at home and he was on the bridge and it's at the toll booth and there's honking at him. All of a sudden, he sees his friend, the guy he saved before, running to the toll keeper and giving the money. So that's a chesed boomerang. Chesed will find you like a boomerang comes back to you. Chesed will come back to you. You do chesed with other people, the kindness to other people, kindness will come back to you. So that person who forgives and forgets, Hashem says, I'll forgive and forget. You treat other people like that. You're easy going with others. It's good to be easy going, easy going with other people, not to bear grudges. And it's so hard not to do it. It's so hard because some people hurt you. Some people steal. It's so hard. But believe me, it's, it's the hardest thing to do. It's really to forgive and forget so hard. So, and sometimes, I, I guess, it's very hard. It's very hard. Everyone should ask questions. If they have questions to their local LOR, uh, local Orthodox rabbis, what do you have? It's a question. And this guy stole from me. What's my attitude towards him? This, these are major questions in terms of forgiving and forgetting their major ethical questions so a person forgives and forgets you can forgive and forget listen anyone who's married has to forgive and forget there's no other way marriage will survive there's no other way a marriage can survive without a person just forgiving and forget <laughs> you know, i heard a great story now you got to know a little bit of technical background of uh, of the laws of shabbat to appreciate this story this the true story happened to one of the great rabbis in yushalayim that uh, his, his wife poured him a cup of tea, and she brought him a cup of tea, and suddenly she spilt it on his hand, and he said, ow! So she said, oh, honey, it's only cliché-ny. If you know the laws of Shabbat, so the, the urn is the cliché-shon, the second cup is the cliché-ny, and cliché-ny doesn't cook. So she said, it's only water from a cliché-ny. Yeah, it's water from a cliché-ny, but it's still hot. So anyway, you got to know the laws of Shabbat to appreciate that joke anyway, so... So you got to forgive and forget. In marriage, things happen. The person's going to forgive and forget and move on. Otherwise, it's not going to continue. That's a problem. It's one basic grudge. You know, the joke is the, the, the husband and wife go to the uh, marriage counselor. And, uh, and the marriage counselor says, uh, what's the problem? What's the, what can I do to help you? And so the husband turns to his wife and says, her, she says, my wife, we have a debate. She always gets historical. Historical, you mean hysterical? 
No, historical. I did this 20 years ago. I did this 50 years ago. So that's a problem. Because I've got to forgive and forget not to bear a list of grudges. You know, I, I'll never forget in Vancouver. When I was in Vancouver, there was a couple getting married. Now, I knew this guy is a, he was a bit of a woman's man. So he would fool around with this one, that one. And I told the woman, don't marry this guy. Don't marry him. And she did. She married him. And a week later, she comes to me with a book, literally a notebook, all the things he did. I said, get rid of that notebook. Now you're married. There's no way. That's it. Throw away the notebook. Forgive and forget. Just work on your marriage. That's it. No, it's not. You're married now. It's not, <laughs> I told you. I warned you. But Baruch Hashem, you know what? We're still married today. Baruch Hashem. So things have worked out. Baruch Hashem. And a person got to, that's the only way. The only way is to forgive and forget and work with someone. Obviously, you can rebuke them, talk to them. But a person's got to be able not to bear grudges, not to bear something inside, a hurt that keeps on going, which keeps on sometimes erupting. That's the trouble. Okay. So, number five. And this is something which became a craze today, especially in certain Hasidic circles. It's called Hidbodidut. Hibodidut literally means a private meditation, a personal meditation with God, a private meeting with God. Now, this is written, this was written about 900 years ago by Rabbi Yonah from Garona, and it was adopted later on by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who was maybe 200 years ago in Ukraine, of all places. Uh, they're telling everyone, don't come, don't go to Iman, don't go to Iman. They're telling all the Jews, don't go to Iman. It's dangerous. You know what? Maybe it's not so dangerous anymore. Now the Russians are on the run. I don't know. But they're telling one, don't go to Oman, but all these guys are going to go anyway. Breslov doesn't care about anything. They don't care. They're going to go to Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman was a big, he talked about Hidbodidut, which is a personal, private relationship with God. How does a person have a private relationship with God? And the answer is, lock yourself in a room. He or go into the fields. That's it. That's what they do today. They go into the fields and they start screaming, Gabal, Gabal. You know, funny story. I was in, uh, I was in Amuka. Amuka is a very deep valley in the Galil where Rabbi Yonatan Benazil, he's buried over there and he's the, he was the greatest student of Hillel. Imagine Hillel as a kid, the great Hillel. His main, his greatest student, Rabbi Yonatan Benazil, who wrote one of the commentaries, uh, a Targum on Tanakh. Uh, Targum Yonatan, it's called, and people go there, it's a secular for marriage. If you're not married, you go there, and sure enough, I know people who went there to get married, and on the bus back, they met their spouse. True story, someone in the shul's daughter married her, she met her spouse on the bus back from Amuka, so you can't get a better answer than that, right, straight away, like, literally. And uh, I used to take my daughters and my son and and my nieces would go, and they all got married. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. Amuka, anyway, so I was in Amuka, and I was there all night. And there's no lights, there's no electricity over there. We had a generator. And in the valley below, there are foxes. I never heard such a noise in my life of foxes. Ah, like barks, they bark. A uh, special kind of bark. You can't, I can't re- replicate it. And then all of a sudden, I hear, in the valley below, I hear, Gavalt! And all the foxes ran away. So, so, so there you go. One breast lover can chew away many foxes, but it's a true story. Anyway, so that's the idea of meditation. Now, this is something which was written about 900 years ago, but 
it came into vogue very recently because a lot of people are becoming impressed. They always followed this Rabbi Nachman, who was a great rabbi, no question about that. But where do we see this in the Torah? And the Torah is talking about Moshe Rabbeinu is in the Midbar. Think about it. Moshe Rabbeinu, all our greats were shepherds now. Does that sort of say something to you? Why are great people, you have Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, David, all shepherds, why? And the answer is because you, when you're out in the wilds, and you have, especially when you have sheep, sheep are pretty much easy game for wild animals. And David Amela talks about that I fought the lion, I fought the bear. And can you imagine what is a person's, what does a person think about? I'm alone in the forests or in the fields in the middle of the night, no man's land and it's spooky and there's wild animals around me. What do you think a person does? And the answer is they do a lot of praying. They do a lot of communication with God. You see this in David Amela Psalms. He's always communicating with God. Now, meditation does not require for a person to go into the field. Meditation is any going into any room. Sometimes you don't even have to be in a room. You find people daydream all by themselves, and even in the office, right? So guys in his cubicle daydreaming, that is meditation. A person should meditate on God. What should a person meditate on? Have a private conversation with God. You know, I, I was just looking at today, Robert Victor Miller. They're still putting out, you know, Rabbi Miller's works. They're still putting out pamphlets in his name every Shabbat. So a great, great man, Rabbi Miller. So first of all, Moshe Rabbein is in the desert. Imagine looking after his father goes sheep in the Sinai desert. And he's there on Mount Sinai. It says the sheep ran away from the lamb, ran away from him. And he ran after the lamb and he leads him to Mount Sinai. He's on Mount Sinai and there he sees the burning bush. Now, the burning bush never really existed. Not to see the burning bush, even though there's a sign on the bush on Mount Sinai today. It's a big sign, burning bush. That's <laughs> a, a big joke. We don't even know if that's Mount Sinai, by the way. So uh, if it's a burning bush, it's not burning anymore. The firemen put out the fire. I don't know. So anyway, it was a vision. It was a vision because he was meditating. Our greats were meditators there's no other way to get a vision from Hashem if you don't meditate so a person's going to think about it and the rabbi said there are millions of prophets through the ages but oh very few got real prophets in other words they were trying to be prophets they were meditating and talking and meditating but they never, they never got visions from God for every I don't know maybe every million prophets that meditated maybe one got a real vision so it's, it takes a Hashem only speaks to those that he wants to speak to, but at least we can speak to Hashem. At least think about Hashem. So whatever person, that's why, that's the purpose of Rav Victor Medicine. That's the purpose of every bracha we make is Baruch Hashem. Think about Hashem during a day. Every time you take a glass of water, Baruch Hashem. The person's going to think, when they say the bracha, they can remember Hashem. Every time you pass a mezuzah, it's a beautiful Rambam. The Rambam says, when a person has a, passes the mezuzah, they should have a conversation with God. They should have an interaction with God. But there's a God around me. You know, we pass the mezuzah. How many times a day? Let's think. A reminder of Hashem. That's the meditation. The meditation is every time we say a bracha, every time we pass the mezuzah, every time we do a mitzvah, we should meditate. Hashem exists. Hashem is here. Hashem is with me. And if Hashem is with me, I fear no evil. David Amel says, Hashem is with me wherever I go. And, and the Rambam says an amazing concept. The Rambam, this amazing Rambam, the Rambam says it 
you are with God, God is with you. If you are thinking about him, when we think of God, he's with us. If we don't think about Hashem, he's not with us. A person thinks about other things in his head, God is not with them at that time. But a person thinking about Hashem, Hashem is with them. And that's a very powerful idea. So a person can be on the train, on the plane, on the car, walking down the road, he's thinking about Hashem, and Hashem is with that person. So during the day, you've got to try and think, how many minutes do I spend with Hashem? How many seconds do I spend with Hashem? Every time a person says a brach, at least think of Hashem. You know, a person who is saying the brach, a brach to Hashem, just think of Hashem, at least. Bring Hashem into your life. Uh, Hashem says, koma kom. Hashem askir chimi. Every, any place that you mention my name, avu elecha brachticha, I will come and bless you. Wow, what a beautiful thing. Every time you say God's name, Hashem says, you, so you say my name, I will come and bless you. So it's a very powerful idea to meditate. This is in Shari Chua. Over 800 years ago, meditate about Hashem. Every second you have spare, think about Hashem. Think about Hashem in your life. Talk to the Nachman says, talk to Hashem. Anything to talk to Hashem. Talk to Hashem. Have a conversation with Hashem. And that's a very powerful idea of, of uh, forgiving one's sins. Imagine. It's a tip to forgive one's sins. Hashem will not make a gazer on someone who's close to them. It was like your best friend. If you have my best friend, why should I trouble you? Why should I hate you? Why should I persecute you? Now, there's a very, very important message in this week's parasha. This week's parasha, Kitabo. There are two parasha with curses. I don't, I don't talk about curses. This is not. This class is not about curses. But it's always before two holidays. The first one is Bechukotai. It's before, always before Shavuot. It was before Matan Torah, a person says, you know, I've got to pull out my socks. Before Rosh Hashanah, this, this, this parasha must always be before Rosh Hashanah, Kitabo. It's a warning. It's a warning to wake up. It's like the shofar blow. Wake up, man, wake up. So one of the, one of the things it says, it says, because you did not serve me. You didn't serve me with joy and with a good heart. This is so critical in the service of Hashem. When a person doesn't, they're doing the mitzvah anyway. Do it with gusto. It's so hard sometimes to do a mitzvah with gusto. <laughs> to do it with love and with happiness and joy. And Hashem wants us to. Imagine it's like the father says to the son, can you get me a glass of water? The son said, oh, dad, how many glasses of water do you drink during the day? Come on, give me a break. But he brings the water anyway. So what, what's the value of that mitzvah? Very low. But he says, Dad, you want a glass of water? You know, Baruch Hashem will have a son like that. Dad, you want this, you want that. So uh, whatever you want, what do you want, what do you want? He's waiting for the opportunity to do it. So same thing we should do with Hashem. We have an opportunity to do a mitzvah. Let's do a mitzvah with gusto. Let's, uh, we have opportunities. These are opportunities for growth. We have to take a mitzvah. It's not as a burden. It's an opportunity for growth. That should be our attitude. Do it with love. Do it with gusto. And with good heart, with a good heart. See, sometimes, you know, like buying a, a lulav, you know. It's so hard to buy a lulav. Why? I'll tell you why. Because if you look at a lulav, what is a lulav? It's a palm front. I'm buying these leaves. I'm buying the etrog. It's like a lemon. Oh, I don't pay so much money. For what? It's just, these things uh, grow on trees. Literally, they grow on trees. So, <laughs> so to do it with love and do it with gusto. You see these people who are poor, really poor, and spending fortunes on these mitzvot. Fortunes, literally fortunes on the mitzvah. Why? Because the mitzvah is valuable. 
we don't really realize the value of a mitzvah. I just end off with a story. My 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 cousin's husband was the uh, president of the shul in London, and he had a favorite line. He would auction off on the holidays. He would auction off the honors, and he would say, "You guys don't know the value of this. If you knew the value, you'd pay double, triple." And that's our problem. Our problem is we don't see the value of a mitzvah. Boy, I wish Hashem would open our eyes just a little bit. You know, there's a story, there's a story in the Gemara. The Gemara says, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was uh, one of the five students of Rabbi Kiva, who survived. And he's a great, you know, the great Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is mentioned nearly in every Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, that's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Believe it or not, he's one of the most lenient authorities in the Mishnah. He's also the author of the Zohar. And he used to give a class that says, thousands and thousands of people you know, stand on the mountain and talk into the valley. Thousands of students. But you know what? His policy was, you didn't go to work. You stay and learn, and Hashem will support you. You need a boy. And, you know, a lot of people couldn't take it anymore. His students started packing up. And he said, wait, I just want to show you something. He says, Hashem, show them the value of the learning of the Torah. Because the valley started filling up with gold coins. We can't even imagine. Imagine started valuing millions and millions of gold coins. <laughs> so they changed their mind and they all stayed. That's the story. I don't know. That's a legend in the Talmud. But I wish we could see the value of the mitzvah that we do. You know, I wish we could see every time someone was rude to us and we kept quiet. We can see the value of them. It's so hard to, not to respond. It's so hard not to respond. And as I mentioned last week, and, you know, this happened to me. I'm so happy today. You know why? I was on the bus, and there was an old lady with a very heavy bag. It, was a, it wasn't a bag. It was a, these things you carry. It was a trolley. And, you know, in Israel, it's amazing. People go shopping over here with trolleys on the buses. It's so dangerous. These old people go. There's no one else. I don't know. So they go with these old trolleys. She said, please, can you help me my, take my trolley off the bus? I'm so happy to do the mitzvah. So happy. Baruch Hashem. He gave me this opportunity. Position. Look for, look out of the, go out of the way to look for mitzvah and be happy doing the mitzvah. And we said last week, a mitzvah with one's body is worth more than a mitzvah with your mom's money. So all look for acts of kindness. That's really the biggest tip. And lastly, let's finish off. The last tip he says is learning Torah. If we learn Torah as we're doing right now, it's the biggest segula. Hashem will forgive us for everything. Hashem, the power of the Torah is tremendous. Chavis actually calculated. Think about it. Chavis went through the calculations. It says, Talmud Torah Talmud Torah is like equivalent of all the mitzvot. Every word of Torah is 613 commandments. So every word of Torah a person reads, every word of Torah a person says, every word of Torah a person hears. You did 613 commandments. Every single word. Now, could you... I don't know, I, I speak very fast, so it's a lot of words, and a lot of <laughs> thousands and thousands of mitzvot right there. There's Rav Hashem, all of us will have merits, and uh, we'll have an easy time, Rosh Hashanah. And there's Rav Hashem, one more class before Rosh Hashanah next week, and then we're going to, we're going to, I guess that's it, for till after Sukkot. So please join me next week, tell your friends, it's the last class for Rosh Hashanah, next Wednesday, same time, same channel. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.